0: Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 44 of Yogaland. On today's episode, I talk to the founder and visionary behind yoga medicine, Tiffany Cruikshank. You might know Tiffany through her classes on Yoga Glow. I've taken a lot of those classes. I think they're great. One of the things I really appreciate about her is that she works a lot on functional movement and on strengthening The supportive muscles and activating the supportive muscles so for those of us who are really flexible you're not just flopping into a pose but you're really learning how to engage and work your body in a in an intelligent way in the poses but that's not what we're going to talk about today we're going to tap into tiffany's acupuncture and chinese medicine background she is a doctor of traditional chinese medicine she ran an acupuncture clinic at nike headquarters for many years And I just wanted to know more about that. And I also wanted to know more about transitioning to spring. I've done acupuncture for years and every spring, whichever acupuncturist I've been with has made this big deal (laughs) about transitioning to spring. Just like I think a lot of Ayurvedic practitioners make a big deal about transitioning to fall. So... I did the podcast in the fall with an Ayurvedic practitioner, Nika Quisgard, and you can go back and find that one. I thought it would be interesting to get the Chinese medicine perspective on transitioning to spring, and also because Tiffany combines her knowledge with yoga, teaching, and practice, kind of get her perspective on what we can do, how we can fine-tune our yoga practice and our meditation practice and our breath practice for spring. So that's what we talk about. I hope you enjoy the interview and I will see you on the other side. So, I have always been really interested in the fact that you are a yoga teacher and you're also a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine. I have done acupuncture for a long time and found it so incredibly healing for so many different ailments, emotional states. I went through it when I had breast cancer treatment and it helped me immensely. So I am just wondering, which came first for you, the yoga or the acupuncture?
1: (laughs) Well, the yoga definitely did as far as practicing. Yeah, I started practicing really young for the yoga. And then I fell in love with holistic medicine at the same time. So I guess those kind of came around the same time. But then it was a matter of me kind of figuring out how I wanted to apply that. And, you know, did I want to go and study Ayurveda or Western medicine or naturopathic or Chinese medicine? And like the specific of of Chinese medicine didn't come until I apprenticed with an acupuncturist when I was in college and um, really fell in love with that then.
0: And when you did your acupuncture training, you also did a focus in sports medicine. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So that was after. So I did my four years of pre-med, and then I did four years of Chinese medicine. And then I did a two-year specialty in sports medicine afterwards.
0: Ah, so that definitely ties together with the yoga. Yeah. I know that you spent some years as both the acupuncturist and the yoga teacher at Nike. So how did you, how did that come about? How did you get that gig?
1: (laughs) That one actually started with the yoga too. I am, had some friends there who were teaching yoga at the Nike headquarters. And so they already had the, the yoga program going there pretty strongly, I think. And so I was actually looking for a yoga job there. And when I was there interviewing and they didn't really have an opening at the time. So I was just kind of talking to them about future possibilities. And I said, well, what about acupuncture? Do you think that was, that'd be something you guys would be interested in offering here? And it just so happened that at the very same time they were actually interviewing to bring someone in to do acupuncture there. So I quickly hopped into the application process and the time I was still living in New York. So I flew back for the interview and I think maybe I even had a couple interviews. I can't remember now. Yeah, sure enough, I got it. And so I started up the acupuncture program there and ran it by myself for a long time and then hired some people to join me. So there's, you know, 10,000 people there. So
0: that's amazing. Okay. I have heard of great office perks. You know, I live in the Bay area. Google is apparently an amazing place to work, but I have never heard of, of having an on-site acupuncturist. That is yeah. so great. So people could just literally sign up for a treatment and come in to
1: your clinic. Yeah. And it was, it's on campus. So they could just walk over, you know, parking at Nike can be kind of tricky. So once you get there, you don't want to have to leave. So they could walk over and yeah, they could just schedule it into their day. The same as yoga. I mean, it was pretty widely accepted. I mean, it kind of depended on the job. There were some jobs that had less flexibility than others, but for the most part, you know, 80% of people or 90 even could easily just schedule it right into their outlook. They were all connected on outlook and they could just put in, you know, block out time for acupuncture or yoga. And it was pretty well accepted there. So nice.
0: (laughs) So did you end up teaching yoga there as well? Or did you just do the acupuncture there? I'm just wondering how in corporate culture, how you helped them with those two modalities?
1: I don't remember how long after I started doing acupuncture there, but pretty soon after I started doing acupuncture, I started teaching yoga. I picked up some classes and I think maybe one of them, it was a new one. Most of what I taught there was yoga for athletes because the culture there is... Mm -hmm pretty athletic, though there, there is a range, <laughs> like any, cult, any corporate culture. But yeah, I mean, I think for me, the, the yoga side of it was always about being able to give my patients tools. I never liked having people be dependent on me. I never liked this feeling of like, you know, you've got to come back to me to feel better, or you've got to do this to feel better. I wanted to be there to be able to help people when they were in need to, you know, help them get through obstacles that they couldn't get through on their own. And, but I never wanted them to be dependent on me. So the fusion of the two for me was really about allowing them to be proactive in, in their health and wellness. And, and athletes are great for that because athletes really, you know, they want to invest in that and yogis too. My yoga students who were patients were always very proactive and wanting more to do on their own. Right, (laughs) right,
0: right the focus that we wanted to, that you and I decided we wanted to talk about today was, you know, ways that we can use Chinese medicine as we transition into spring. And I'm curious, because I've done a podcast before about Ayurveda and some like some of the basics. And it seems to me from the limited perspective I have on, on like the deep ways that Chinese medicine works, it seems to me that there is actually a bit of overlap between some of the principles in Chinese medicine and, and Ayurveda.
1: Can you speak to this at all? I'd definitely say my knowledge of Ayurveda is, is definitely superficial, especially compared to, to many people who know it very well. My specialty is more in Chinese medicine. And in fact, I usually, we always have people who come into our Chinese medicine trainings and know Ayurveda. In fact, I think, it's easier to separate them than, (laughs) than to correlate them, but there definitely is some overlap. You know, this idea of the circulation there, there is a, an Ayurvedic version, you know, there's this understanding and and I'm not a history expert, but there is this understanding that, you know, acupuncture was circulating through more of of the traditional Indian medicine and Ayurvedic medicine, you know, a long time ago as well. Mm. And I think this understanding of nadis and meridians is one thing in a more general sense that is very similar, the circulation of energy through the body and this idea that when the circulation through the body is free and uninhibited, that our bodies have a, a more natural capacity to heal and repair and, and thrive. Even just like
0: comparing, you know, prana and chi. I mean, to me it seems like we're talking about the same thing, right? <laughs> we're talking about life force and an unseen energy in us and around us.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think in a general way, there's a lot of sim- similarities. When you look a lot at the details, They become very different systems. Mm. But this connection to nature and how our body interacts with the environment and all the things we put into our bodies, there's definitely a lot of crossover in in the kind of the general sense.
0: Yeah. In Ayurveda, they have the five elements, earth, water, fire, wind, and ether. And there's a few of the elements in Chinese medicine that cross over earth, water, fire, but then there's wood and metal as well. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the what the five elements represent in TCM and then specifically what wood and
1: metal represent? Yeah. In a, in a general sense, there's some kind of overarching themes. Like in, in Chinese medicine, the earth element is called the mother a lot of times, and it's all about our nourishment. And this one really represents our capacity to digest our food and absorb nutrition. And, and really the biggest thing here is the digestion and, and our ability to nourish ourselves. The water element is very much, it's it's the root of the the kidney yin, it's the essence of yin, so it's kind of the fullest expression of yin in the body, though it's, it's also in Chinese medicine what we call the root of our essence, which is an interesting concept. Where this belief in Chinese medicine that you're born with a certain amount of essence, and once we run out of it, we die, mm. and that the essence creates qi and blood and yin and yang and all of the, the vital substances in our body, and our body can tap into that essence to make what we need at any point, or it can extract it from our food and the air that we breathe that can create these things outside of tapping into our resources. So, the essence is like our, our reservoirs, our reservoirs of, of everything, pretty much. and So in many ways, the earth and the water elements are are probably two of the most valuable in Chinese medicine. If you were to prioritize, because of you know our capacity to digest allows us to then extract nutrition to not have to tap into the the resources, and then the resources are vitality and longevity and our capacity to thrive. And so they're both really important. The water element is really connected to this. You can think of this as the meditator. This one's all about stillness and introspection and our ability to be adaptable as well. You can imagine as as water's kind of fluid, but because it's the peak of yin in the body, it really is stillness and things like meditation that really nourish this one and a really important part of our health and longevity, as I mentioned before.
0: Are there ways to preserve your essence, like as as opposed to burning through it?
1: It's really like a math equation. You know, what I put in, what do I take out?
0: Hmm.
1: How am I conserving my energy expenditure? Which, you know, I always make this analogy like, You could imagine me walking across the room, like really stressed out and like really frantically, versus walking maybe at the same pace but more calmly and leisurely. And you can imagine that going through the same motions, the same speed. My energy expenditure can still be very different. Mm -hmm. So, and and this is kind of like this idea of of bringing things like meditation and introspection and mindfulness into our days. I think is why you know we see so much value in that now coming out of you know research and in our own experience as well. But it really is about energy management, conservation, how we manage that, whether that's working less hours Mm -hmm. or managing how we work and how we... How we approach things. Yeah. And so it really is a matter of how how much do I put out? Am I overworking? In, In Chinese medicine, that could be work, that can even be sexual activity, that can be exercise. And then what am I taking in? Not only am I taking in good food, but am, am I able to extract the nutrition from that? Is my digestion good? Mm. Yeah. So it's that balance. How much do I put in? How much do I take out? So that, you know, if that putting out is, is more than what I'm taking in, at some point I have to dip into the essence and those reserves and tap into that. So.
0: And that's good motivation for doing those practices. If you feel like there's a limited amount of this, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. like humans, we are just, we are all about drive. So if we know there's a limited amount, it might, I don't know. That's just a completely different worldview.
1: I mean, I don't know that we could, I'm always like the scientist bring, you know, the rationale back, the rational mind back into this more whether we can really judge that in years or not. We've all experienced this as burnout. You know, we do too much and we, we don't yeah. take time to eat and digest and feed ourselves well. We, we feel the effects at some point. And, you know, in Chinese medicine, there's this idea too, that you're born with a certain amount of essence. And, and this is like our vitality, our constitution. We see this like um, in Chinese medicine, people who are born with depleted essence, they have problems in development as a, as a child as well. And so there is a predisposition for some people, they might tap those reservoirs for a long time before they feel the effects, depending on the strength of their essence and their constitution. And for others, it might come very quickly.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah.
1: Wow. I love this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the fire, the next one is really an easy one, I think, to connect to. This one's all about passion. And this is our ability really in Chinese medicine to communicate in a way that creates depth and meaning in our lives versus kind of the superficial connections that we make and this one is really important for our ability to communicate with other people and to create intimacy in our lives and you can kind of imagine i think for most of us the fire element's the easiest one to wrap our head around so the interesting thing happens i think when we look at the wood element the wood element is really all about us having purpose and vision in our lives our ability to have a plan this is like our type a tendencies you know we have purpose and a vision. It's not this lofty, passionate dream of like the fire element would be like our passion to do something. This is like, okay, I have a goal and I'm going to make steps to get there. And I'm going to be able to see that through all the way. Hmm. And so you could kind of, you could compare this one to our type A tendencies. In a healthy scenario, we can make plans and see them through to fruition. And in an imbalanced scenario, we become so hardened around that goal that we can become brittle and and break you know imagine the wood element if there's not enough of this water of this downtime to nourish the wood element it becomes brittle and and it breaks and that's the the overworking and and so this this really powerful dynamic between water and wood that's really important it's important there's a place for, you know, the monastic lifestyle, but for most of us as householders, you know, we're, we're made to have purpose, we're made to create and to do and contribute in some way, whatever that might be. That doesn't need to be a yoga teacher or a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, whatever yeah. we think we should be, but we're all made to contribute in some way that's really beautiful. We have to be able to support that, you know, with the water element, this the stillness that's harder. We've got our list of to-do lists, which is really like our ability to see those goals through, but it's hard to put on your to-do list. Be still. Right. <laughs> it is. Yeah. In the meditation. We start to like go, oh, this is good for this. And I'm going to accomplish this thing. So true.
0: <laughs> All of the meditation these days, like in, in popular culture is couched in, you know, maximize your efficiency, <laughs> which I just think is so, it's so funny. It's like, we just can't give each- ourselves a break. Yeah. Hard to give ourselves a break. Well, it's hard.
1: I mean, I think it's just our human nature, you know, to focus on what we're doing. Yeah. And I think hopefully that that awareness, kind of like yoga, you know, we get into it for the physical aspects. And with meditation, you know, we we have to be kind of sold on doing it for some capacity. Absolutely. But eventually we start to dip in a little further and and find maybe some mindfulness in our lives. And
0: once it starts to feel good, I think it's it's an easier sell. And then even when it does feel good, it's still a discipline. I mean, it's, you still have to, I still have to discipline myself to, to even just get on my yoga mat. You know, even though I know I will physically feel so much better afterward, it's still like every day. Okay. This is just, I'm just committing to this <laughs> recommitting every day. You know,
1: didn't I do this yesterday? <laughs> exactly. It'd be much easier to
0: sit on the couch and read the paper, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that's the first clear explanation I've heard of wood. And then, what about metal?
1: So, metal is all about structure. So, think about metal like an element. You know, it's this got this clear beginning and end point. It's got this clear structure to it. Metal is all about creating structure and routine, precision in the character for the metal element. There's actually gold within it. So, there's this kind of this brilliance in it. I think we kind of tend to think of this metal element as when it gets out of balance, it can become really hard and kind of OCD and a little bit overly structured and orderly and kind of uptight. Mm-hmm. But there's brilliance in the structure that allows us to create clarity from this element. And yeah, so this one is really about creating structure and precision within that, our ability to have that the routines that, that keep us moving forward in our lives too. Is it similar to
0: Ayurveda in that we all have a mix of the elements within us and then obviously the elements are integrated into nature all around us as well.
1: Yeah, it is. And the the idea is that in balance, we all have a little, a connection to, to all of them, you know, that that we have a little bit of this, but what we're looking at it in Chinese medicine. So I've talked a lot about the characteristics, more of the, the personality characteristics. There's a whole, there's a whole lot more to it, of course, as far as we get to the organs and dysfunction in Chinese medicine, really what we're looking for is not necessarily my connection personally to the elements, but where the imbalance lies. For instance, maybe I'm really orderly. I'm really good at the meta element. Like I love having structure and precision. That's not a problem. The problem is if I become so overly fixated on that, that I become kind of OCD and uptight versus maybe losing that completely and having no structure and no right. Yeah. So what we're looking for is not the connection. The connection is the healthy resemblance of that. We should have a little bit of each of those, but and many of us feel a little bit more connected to one element than the others. But so what we're looking for is the imbalance. So where does it become unhealthy? Where does it become out of balance? And and that's really what we focus on. But yeah, ideally we should all have some of each of them.
0: <laughs> right. I don't want to get us too far into the weeds, but I'm just curious. So then if Let's say you mentioned metal, is you're, you're very connected to that. Precision's easy for you, structures works well for you. So let's say you, if you went into imbalance, then in Chinese medicine, does that can present in any of the organs and in the digestion? I mean, that's where it, I, my mind just goes like, I mean, how does so this work? Really
1: intricate. And when we look at the five elements, really anything can happen. Um, yeah. If you look at the In Chinese medicine, there's often this picture of the five elements in a circle and a little star in the center. And what it's looking at is that each of the elements, kind of like yin and yang, each of them feed the next one. So they're all interconnected and there's this cycle of promotion on the outside, but then they also control each other. So when we look at them, they have these really interesting relationships. So, you know, you could think about water and fire is a really obvious one. You know, you could imagine someone who's really an extrovert, really connected to this fire element, really outgoing and, you know, loves to be is really passionate, potentially gets caught up in that. And misses out on or or it's easy for them to lose that connection to water this introspective time or maybe even be uncomfortable being quiet we all we've all experienced this as as students and as teachers you know seeing this in our students and this balance between the two of them and similar with metal and fire too you know our tendency to have a lot of structure and precision but our ability to let down and, and metal is really about our ability to create boundaries too and our ability to let those boundaries down is also what allows us to be intimate and vulnerable like the the fire elements so there's this balance of all of them interacting that is really valuable and important even more so than just you know each one statically
0: yeah okay (laughs)
1: this is why (laughs) this is the beauty of Chinese medicine and and holistic medicine is there's there's never an end point you know we're, we're constantly kind of playing with this balance and I think what I love about teaching Chinese medicine to yoga teachers or to yoga students is that They can use that self-inquiry to kind of play with and juggle and fine-tune their health and wellness in, in many different ways.
0: Okay, so let's talk about what we can be aware of in our bodies and in the world around us. As we
1: transition to spring, back to that wood element. So wood is the the element of spring. The wood element. One of the things I didn't really mention about the wood element, I think that's really important to kind of grasp a sense of this element is one of its primary functions as as far as an organ, as far as the liver. So the liver and the gallbladder are the organs of the wood element. For the liver, it's one of its primary functions is ruling. It's often called in Chinese medicine ruling the smooth flow of qi there's a really common, probably the most commonly used herbal formula of of all the hundreds of Chinese herbal formulas is one called the free and easy wanderer, which is- Oh,
0: I've used that one. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) Many people, if you've done Chinese medicine long enough, you've probably had this formula, but because it's for stress in general, I mean, it's for many, many things, but it's for moving liver cheese stagnation. And It's the liver's job to oversee this movement of qi or energy through the entire body. And you can imagine when you get really stressed out, we all have experienced this, you get stressed out and maybe you have a certain place that you hold tension, but we kind of like, we hold on to it. And that becomes a sense of stagnation. And In Chinese medicine, in fact, any form of pain is a representation of stagnation. It's that lack of of flow in in some contexts in a very general way. This inability of our, our bodies to spread the chi, you know, and, and you can kind of imagine a good picture of this in the yoga sense is like if you imagine like a Shiva Ray class, there's this like this flowy, kind of unrestricted, really movement based practice that really is probably the quintessential kind of chi movement, you know, this, this idea of, of moving freely and uninhibited that's really nourishing for, the, for this liver. You think about it too, in a general sense, you know, we've come out of winter, there's a lot of stagnation and and maybe a lot of indulgences potentially, you know, we're in hibernation mode and Mm -hmm. we're at home more. And now we're coming out into spring and and moving into summer. There's this need for movement in the body. And so in a general sense, I think in yoga, and I just taught a class yesterday on this, of looking at our ability to create movement that allows us to connect to this sense of freedom in the body, to like release stagnation release tension release restrictions that's maybe not quite as focused on alignment you could imagine metal element would definitely be one that's like very Ayengar, very mm. focused on precision and, and alignment which which I love but it's this balance between the two of them can I let go sometimes and especially being familiar with the yoga practice where you, you know you probably don't need to ruminate on every little alignment cue all the time can I let go of that and connect to this quality of moving and connecting to this, this movement of energy through the body of releasing stagnation and being able to move uninhibited. That's really important.
0: That just made me think of, you know, you so often hear people talk about getting a spring cold, you know, like as we transition from winter to spring, is that thought to be simply a product of transition itself? Or is there something about the change in the elements in spring that spurs that to happen for a lot of people. And is there anything we can do about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in the spring, maybe someone else has another opinion on this. And in, in the Chinese medicine world, there's definitely kind of like yoga different styles and opinions a little bit. But my take on that is, is more just that if, if someone has an imbalance, it does often show up in the, the changing of the seasons. And so that could happen anytime if they have a, especially if there's a weakness in, in the immune system, which was really connected more to the metal element, which is more connected to the fall, which is why most people get a lot of colds. Fall is usually the most common time for colds, but it can happen anytime. It doesn't necessarily mean that it has to happen in that season. One thing that
0: I noticed since, move, I mean, I moved to San Francisco a long time ago. I moved here 20 years ago, but I grew up on the East coast where in Pennsylvania. So right in the part of the country where we had exactly four seasons. Each season was exactly three months long and they were very well-defined and the weather was very different and the environment was very different. And growing up there, everyone got their colds in the fall and the winter. And since living here, where the seasons kind of all run together the weather's generally all the same it's pretty moderate here it's sort of always hovers between 50 and 70 degrees it's always windy it's always foggy people have colds all year long there's no cold season here it, it can be a little bit worse in the winter but i don't know i don't know if there's anything to be said about that but it's just i always wonder you know what is it what's the difference in what's happening around us related to what happens Inside of us.
1: I think it is really nice for our bodies. I think our bodies really appreciate having those the changes of the season. I know when I lived in LA, we had like one season. It was 75 and sunny. Yeah. <laughs> Which is hard to complain about. But after living there, I only lived there for a couple of years. But after living there a couple of years, my body really craved, like wanting even having grown up in the desert in Arizona, not having them really craved, you know, having those changes, which I think is so important for our body to go through those. And I think there's ways to connect to that without having to have major climate shifts, you know, connecting to the, the natural changes of the seasons in the elements or in the foods that you eat, you know, eating, eating things that are in season, which is now hard to, I think, in, in some places, but and being able to connect to those internal changes that are happening in our bodies, regardless of how much we see around us or how clear that is in the environment around us. And in Chinese medicine, there's some clear kind of changes like in the spring with the liver and the wood element, you know, eating more light foods and bitter foods, actually sour is the, the one that really stimulates this, the liver or uh, liver organ and the wood element. And they're kind of things that we're naturally drawn to. These are the things that, you know, are a little bit more in season now. We've got more kind of lighter vegetables and salads. And
0: So are you saying that sour and bitter are considered the same taste or is sour a different taste? No, they're
1: actually different. And sour is actually, they're kind of hard to separate, I think, because I see a lot of overlap in, in some of them as far as the foods we eat. But sour is actually more connected to, to wood and bitter surprisingly enough is actually more connected to the heart and hmm. the fire element which you would think spicy would be but spicy is actually the metal element which makes sense because yeah. you know think about getting a cold and you know we eat things like ginger and, and spicy things to kind of help stimulate the immune system and then the fire elements more of a, the summertime element and you think about like the bitter foods again, which are kind of overlapped with some of the sour foods. So you think about all these bitter greens and salads and things that we eat in the summertime.
0: I remember a long time ago reading something from Dr. Weil, and he said that the taste that was really missing from the Western, oh well, there's so many things missing from the traditional Western <laughs> diet, but, but that, you know, bitter is a taste that we're really missing. And I don't know, for me, when I incorporate bitter, it really helps balance sweet cravings. I don't have that same drive for sweet. Something gets, uh, something gets satisfied in there that just balances that really well.
1: Yeah, I think bitter and sour do that. And in my experience, it's kind of hard to interpret because in Chinese medicine, sour is like vinegars and um, fermented foods and bitter is more traditionally like, you know, dandelion greens and leafy greens and Oh my and so I say, to me, they kind of overlap a little bit. So, you know, in the spring and summertime, they're kind of both things we naturally tend towards. But, you know, I, I think it, it makes sense. You know, these are the things that we definitely leave out. And for digestion purposes, these are really important for the digestive process. Now, we also see it in the five elements, the wood element and the earth element have a really strong connection in that when wood becomes predominant, meaning we become really stressed out and overly focused on what we're doing that a lot of times our digestion suffers this, this earth element. And a lot of times we find ourselves getting sweet cravings. And so I think what you're saying is, is another kind of extension of that too. Once we stimulate and kind of balance out the flavors, especially this, this bitter or sour flavor that's missing for the digestion, that sweet flavor, which is, is usually what we crave when we're not digesting properly or what, when that earth element is out of balance, is a big thing.
0: We're part of a CSA, and we've been getting so many dandelion greens, I'm like ready to just scream. (laughs) But interestingly, I I never thought of vinegar as a sour taste because, you know, adding the vinegar to the greens helps so much. I mean, it makes them so much more I like bitter, but dandelion greens are bitter. I mean, that is intense. Do you?
1: Yeah. I was so bummed. I just went to the store yesterday and they've stopped carrying them. I was like, how can you do that? (laughs) (laughs) No one's buying them. And I was like, but I am. Give them to me. Give them to me. I love them. Give me a box. We'll put just even like a, you don't need a lot, but I'll put a little bit in our morning smoothies or. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. In my first book on I usually just like rub them with some salt, which is kind of like a, a way of kind of cooking them to some extent. And then I have this macadamia nut dressing that I love putting on them or there's a bunch of ways you can make it more palatable. But yeah, I mean, the bitterness is definitely, I love like radicchio, endive. Oh, those are my favorite. You would just do so well in an Italian family because <laughs>
0: growing up, that's what we had. I think it's like peasant food, you know, it was like I, I, I think that's what was available, you know, so that's that's what we had. But I cook my dandelion greens a little, just a little bit in olive oil, salt, vinegar and pine nuts. And that
1: is really mm. good, too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But I hadn't thought I of putting them in a smoothie. Eat them straight up. I think for most people, they have to add them into something. Like even just a few little sprigs, if you've never had it before, a few little sprigs into your salad, you know, or chop it up really good and and just put a little bit in there or hide it in your smoothie or... But actually, in, in Chinese medicine... It's not so much about just swallowing those things and they're just, you know, taking them in a pill form, but actually tasting it, you know, that, that stimulates something as well. So oh, interesting. maybe it's an acquired taste. Yeah, no, <laughs> I think it is. I mean, we, what I learned when you learn
0: to, to first transition a baby to, you might already know this, but I didn't know this. When you learn to transition a baby to quote unquote solid foods, they tell you to introduce the food. 10 to 15 times because it can take that many times for them to simply acquire the taste. And so you can, they have a video, there's like this famous video of a baby eating peas for the first time. I actually have a video of Sophia eating avocado for the first time. Oh my gosh, it's hilarious. She's, she's eating it because she's very curious and mommy's giving her encouragement and all these things. But her mouth is like spitting it out and her little eyes are like wrinkling as she's eating. It's like, oh, this is disgusting, but it's kind of interesting. But then, you know, over time, they just become accustomed to the flavor and they start to like it. And so I always I didn't know that growing up. I was a really picky eater growing up and my mom kind of just submitted to that. (laughs) you know i don't think it's a good idea to force children to eat food but if you start early and you introduce the the taste early over and over again it it does lead to like acquiring the taste so if you're an adult and you don't like the taste of
1: bitter there is hope oh my god it can happen I was the worst. I remember as a kid telling my mom I could just live on bread and candy and and I tried to. My, and at the time it was like the fat craze and my mom was like, oh, that's so healthy. No wonder you're so skinny. You know, there's no oh fat. My, oh my gosh. So you lived on <laughs> snack wells. <laughs> 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 the snack
0: well. I love to think about the like the word snack well just makes me laugh so hard because we all thought that
1: was so healthy oh it's so terrible oh yes, my gosh. I think I think it's always good to go back to I love the idea of like is it something your grandmother would have eaten or maybe nowadays with the new the younger generation maybe we have to think great your great grandmother like, exactly exactly come, like can you see its whole form in there somewhere and and I think there's a balance, you know, I went to Chinese medicine school and I remember afterwards, I mean, it's been 14 years now or so since I graduated, but afterwards it took a while for me to kind of recover. Cause you, you have this idea that you have this awareness of everything that's bad right. and all the things you have to stay away from and all the things that are good and, and, you really have to come back to moderation. And I think, you know, there's a social aspect to food that's important. And I think the hardest thing for us is moderation. Can I have some of these things and right. And know that they're bad for me and be okay with it and enjoy it. And, and so come back to moderation.
0: Yeah, that's so true. It's so true. I mean, if you make food a chore, man, (laughs) it's just like what a downer in life because you have to do it three times a day, at least every single day. So yeah, I know I have to remind myself too every once in a while to let myself have a little bit of wine because I just—I <laughs> mean, I don't really like the effect that it has on my body if I have too much. But having a little bit of wine does loosen me up a little bit, and like you know, yeah. if I'm with friends and and I want to be talking, you know, and enjoying myself for a night,
1: it does it does. <laughs> in moderation, it's good for liver cheese stagnation. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> you can kind of feel that that sense of like letting go and yeah. But clearly, in excess it has it has its own its own negative effects' yeah, I guess I think, like anything the proper dose and I think in the big picture we've got to look at the things that we're putting you know the eighty or ninety percent of what we're putting in our body needs to be good I mean, this is our fuel, this is the environment that we're creating in our in ourselves that that isn't going to change if after one meal, but it's going to change over time you know in the big picture, so right you know when you look at the food side of the wood element, one thing that's really important too, if you come back to like the bigger picture of not just the wood element, but, you know, remember the wood is our tendency to to do too much and to be so focused. Like I think one of the big problems people run into is they're in this time, in the busyness of our lives, spring's usually a busy time. And, you know, we don't take time just to sit down and and actually chew our food and and stop working and take time for meals and appreciate and enjoy our food which is really important for the earth element as well. And they have such a strong relationship. I need to be able to take time, which is a very simple thing. It's not even so much about what I eat, but just paying attention to the flavors and taking even if it's just, you know, 20 or 30 minutes to eat, you know, like just doing that.
0: Yeah, no, that's
1: a really big deal. It's and I
0: think in the middle of the day, it's hardest for people Well, probably in the beginning of the day as well. I'm really fortunate because I don't have to rush out of the house anymore. And get to enjoy breakfast with my daughter and I don't have to like get fully dressed for work anymore because I work from home. So I don't have to, you know, look as professional if at all. And that it does, it has made a difference. Yeah. I still am bad about separating my lunch from my work, even though I work alone and work from home. It's, it takes a concerted effort.
1: I'm the same, you know, when I'm home and not out teaching, you know, I'm on my computer all day and most of the day yeah. I'm the same. Like you just have to make time. And, and in Chinese medicine, this is where Ayurveda and Chinese medicine are somewhat different. The spleen and the stomach, there's different times for each element. And the digestive fire is strongest in the morning. So the most important meal, if you had to pick one, would be breakfast between, you know, eating more of your food between like nine and 11. And then the digestive fire kind of diminishes a bit from there. And I know in Ayurveda, lunch is really such a big one. Uh-huh. I think in, in general, our tendencies as a society is because of what you said is to really focus. We have these big dinners and mm-hmm. then we go to bed. It's mm-hmm.
0: like, well,
1: I don't really need the fuel now. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. <laughs> I even remember the first time I went
0: to a Western nutritionist, she said, eat lunch like a prince, eat dinner like a pauper. It is even just, just if you look at the metabolism, like you just said, it's it's we put all this energy and time into dinner and it's really when we should be eating kind of a bit lighter.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's always some exceptions. I think if you're trying to gain weight, that's a great time to eat. You know, for people, I remember when I was really young, we'd go out on walkabouts and we'd forage for food and we would like prepare. And before we'd go out, we'd always eat a lot. We'd start eating bigger dinners and (laughs) trying to like store calories to some extent.
0: Wait, wait, you did that. Did you do this with your family?
1: This was when I was in my early teens. This is what got me into holistic medicine and I went my parents sent me on a wilderness program because I was a troublemaker. But then when I got back, I got really into primitive living and I would go to like they had primitive living gatherings and I had friends. We'd go on walkabouts where we'd just go out into the Redwoods actually usually. Sometimes in the White Mountains in Arizona, but I just go foraging and it's a long time in my past, but it was a great I have great memories of it.
0: Were your parents at the time like, hmm, maybe we shouldn't have sent her on that wilderness? And were they, did they worry about it. I was happy
1: that I had focused. I yeah. always had a really, uh, I guess, intensity in what I do. And I think they were just happy I was focusing that intensity. Right. Positive. Channeling it into finding <laughs>
0: healthy mushrooms, hopefully not deadly mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So going back for a moment to sort of practices. So we talked about yoga practice for spring, kind of moving. You said moving the liver, she moving stagnation throughout the body. Do you have any thoughts or recommendations for meditation or breathing practices for spring? Does that change for you?
1: Again, it kind of depends on who the person is and what's going on for them. But as a, just in general for the liver, things like kapalabhati Kapalobot- is a great one. You know, think about that kind of liver that that movement in the body that you experience. With something like Kapalabhati, for people who tend to overwork, like when the liver becomes really overly exaggerated, which is often common in the spring as well, where we start to get stressed and tense, you know, um, any of the exhalation really focused on uh, pranayama practices, really focused on exhalation are helpful, even just as much as inhaling and then exhaling longer than your inhale can be very simple. Help induce more of that the parasympathetic response, which is really you know that water element, you know, coming back in to nourish this wood that's potentially becoming depleted from too much work and too much stress. Ah, oh, okay. Even just simple meditation practices, emotionally, I think the emotion associated with the the wood element is is anger. You think about like this stagnation or this tension or stress that becomes predominant when we work a lot, you know, and it becomes irritability and frustration and anger potentially, which are more of an exaggerated wood element. Now, now clearly, we're meant to experience all of the emotions. So it's it's more our ability to process anger in a way that that allows us to release it as well.
0: That's a tough one for me. I have a whole podcast about anger because
1: that's a tough (laughs) one for me. (laughs) It is. And in a way that doesn't hurt other people, you know, our ability to let it go, which for some people is a yoga practice, or I know my partner loves to just go to the gym and, and mm-hmm. like beat it out, you know, <laughs> get it out of his system. He just goes and, and pounds it out. And, you know, everyone has a different release, but whatever we choose, there has to be a sense of kind of letting go and being able to feel that sense of release of, of whatever emotionally or attention-wise whatever we're coming into contact with there. So, yeah. And so for the liver, I think one of the things that's really important is this idea of forgiveness too, which is really therapeutic for this element, which could come in the form of journaling or it could come in the form of meditation. You know, it could even be a meditation or a breathing exercise where you focus on letting go on the exhalation of of tension or, or frustration, or there's so many different ways you can apply this depending on what your need is.
0: Yeah, no, I love it. This is so great. I just know that for me, I, any ideas that give me structure that are related for in my practice that are related to nature are just really inspiring. So I think these are all great and really helpful. I know people, people will appreciate
1: them a lot. I think the biggest thing to take away too is that the things that we do most often are going to affect us the most. You know, So if you find something that's helpful, it's, it doesn't have to be done. You know, as yoga practitioners, I know myself, you know, we tend to feel like, I've got to do an hour and a half, and it's got to be every day, and it's got to be, you know, this or that. But even just a few minutes every day of something can be so potent and so helpful. And we know this now for the nervous system, too, you know, our ability to change, you know, so many things in our lives. Our mind really does create so much, and many Chinese medicine doctors agree that the root of of many of our illnesses is the emotions themselves. And so, you know, in order to change our brain, in order to change our lives, in order to change the organs or the elements we have to commit to doing something more regularly, which is really important and more important than maybe even how long we practice.
0: It's really true. It's really true. I feel like when you commit to doing something regularly, it's like a touchstone. It's just like you come back to remembering (laughs) everything that's important to you, you know, and like you said, it doesn't have to be this huge undertaking. I actually really rarely do a 90 minute practice anymore. Just the stage of life that I'm in and like the way that my schedule is an hour is plenty. Yeah. And if I have time to only do less, I do less. And it's just, we were talking about earlier, just committing to that consistency creates such a touchstone that kind of is like a reset button
1: for me. And I think, I don't know about you, but you know, and traditionally, you know, yoga was very different. You know, this was those three phases, what the sunrise is up until 25 or 30. And then the midlife is like 30 until 70. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we spend a lot of
1: time in that midlife and that, you know, it's meant to be all about using our yoga practice to to nourish our lives. And I feel that I know my practice changed a lot from, you know, in my teens and twenties, being really focused on the physical and how can I challenge my body and, and definitely still connecting to mental and spiritual practices too. But, you know, as a, the midday cycle of our lives, I think when you're coming to your practice, I mean, if, if you practice yoga and it's your only form of exercise, you know, it can be a little bit different. And, but when you practice yoga to make you feel better, you don't always need a lot. I mean, I agree. I, I wouldn't say I do a lot of 90-minute practices. Sometimes it's a half an hour. Sometimes it's an hour you know, sneaking in little bits here and there, even shorter t- at times, you know, I-, I think less about like, I have to have this hour, or hour and a half practice and more about like, what do I need? How do I nourish myself? And I think as a healthcare provider as well, that's one of the most important things I do with my patients is reframe this, like, kind of cultural context of like what I need and what I should be doing. Like we have all these great resources of articles and information at our fingertips. And and most of my patients and students now are very familiar with what's good and bad and right and wrong, but they're seeking out those things because they think those are right rather than actually listening to their bodies and going, what do I need? Yeah. What's actually going to feed me right now? What's going to nourish me? is it a movement based practice? I and mean, we, we kind of have this fixation of like, I have to beat myself up to feel better.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's just, just funny. Cause yeah, we, and even if mentally we know better, it's still, yeah. it's still there. It still comes up. I yeah. mean, as
1: yoga teachers, we know this better than anyone, but somehow still, we kind of feel like we've got to like put in the miles on our yoga mat and like really <laughs> do enough of our vinyasas and our standing poses and override what our body says, you know, like, oh my dad, maybe I just need to meditate today. Maybe I really need to be quiet and still. And, and it's so hard because very much like that to-do list before, like it's really hard to go, oh, all I need today is to meditate. It's hard to quantify that and be like, I've done something
0: right. Yeah, no, that is, that is, you, you nailed it. Like, that's what it is. It's that we want to kind of check something off or have a yeah. little, even a little tiny achievement for the day <laughs> because some days that just doesn't happen. I had a cold recently and I was kind of like, I woke up in the morning and I was like, Oh, I'm not going to be able to do my yoga practice today. And I was really wanting to go to the gym. And I found myself just going through this whole like, self-flagellation about how I wasn't going to be able to like work my body that day. I mean, because admittedly, it is a little bit trickier to fit in these days. And then I was like, Oh, I could just lay over a bolster and feel really good. And remember how much you used to love to put your legs up the wall, Andrea, you know, (laughs) remember when you first learned Viparita Karani and you are like, Oh my God, I'm never coming out of this pose. And it's like, I, yeah. Anyway,
1: that was it. I think that's a challenge too. Like it's so beautiful now to have yoga teachers who really know so much, you know, I remember, you know, in the nineties teaching yoga, like our resources were limited to a few books and, you know, a few trainings and yeah. And now there's so much information. And so there's pros and cons. I think the con to that is that we feel overwhelmed by all of the things we should be doing that we could be doing that are good for us or that we maybe even shouldn't be doing. And instead of realizing, I think the pro to this is like, we have so many tools, so many ways very simple ways that we can nourish ourselves that we can take care of ourselves that we can kind of play with this delicate balance that's constantly happening inside of our bodies whether we can see it or not that it doesn't have to be you know spending half of our day taking care of ourselves but it could be a mindfulness that kind of extends more throughout our day
0: yeah yeah that would be a good thing that is yeah and that's <laughs> actually part that's part of why I started the podcast so I was like you know, I, I want this to be just integrated into our lives. And you know, what if we had a more wisdom based culture? What if we had a more listening based culture? So yeah, it mm, resonates I a lot with me. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much. This time just flew by. Yeah. I know that we could talk again about a lot more. So hopefully you'll come back sometime soon.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for the great questions. I love, I love talking about this, you know, so
0: Yeah, me too. It was so
1: great to talk to you. Thanks.
0: Thanks so much for listening, everyone. You can find show notes for this episode at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 44. And I will put links to Tiffany's schedule and her upcoming modules, as well as her book, Optimal Health for Vibrant Life. So you can learn more about her and what she does. Thanks so much for listening. Until next week, enjoy your practice.